Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 5 of Banter with Bells. On today's episode we have the wise and powerful Mr. Harrison Nye. Harrison hails from Portland, Oregon, but eventually made his way to the Salt Lake Valley where he pursued collegiate lacrosse at Westminster University and the University of Utah. Recently, Harrison played for Team Latvia in the 2023 Lacrosse World Games. When not playing lacrosse or working, Harrison likes to spend his time outdoors with his family and friends. I hope you all can sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. What did you major in? Boring finance. Is that what you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you work? Dude, you travel so much. Do you I know. work? <laughs> I, I, uh, well, I was, I, so I got a new job in um, Memorial Day. And they told me I could start in July. Uh-huh. So I was like, all right. So I quit uh, my current job. I had seven weeks off, did the Latvia World Games, and seven weeks of nothing, which was awesome. I've, I called it fun employment. Nice. Yeah. And so then, what are you doing for your new job? Like boring finance stuff, same thing. Actually, it's not as boring. Um, but long story short, like, um, it's a financial services business that sells 401k products. So like the University of Utah mm-hmm. for their employees has a 401k program. What, what exactly is a 401k? So it's like, it's workplace savings. So the employees will match. So A, it's advantage, the government wants people to save money, right? People want to retire with money. Like so, social security kind of, right? Kind of, yeah. yes. But they social security is having some issues where the amount that's owed by Social Security to people, like the debt that Social Security has, it's probably not, it, it might run out, um, you know, in 20, 30 years, unless they raise taxes. Anyways, besides the point, but, you know, let's say I own a landscaping business with 50 employees. I want to compete for top talent. I offer a 401k and I, you can contribute money. So Bells can contribute money out of his paycheck and I match it or I give whatever. I match dollar for dollar up to 6% of your paycheck. Okay. And there's laws of how much you can contribute a year. And then once you reach the age of 65, you can take that money out and it, it can appreciate, you know, it's invested in mutual funds, whatever, stock market, and you can take it out without paying taxes. Okay. So it's a great way to like build wealth. And it's like, again, just, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. And so we sell like, it, it's kind of a, it's not the most exciting space. Like I'm not super passionate about 401ks but yeah it's cool so are you talking to the companies or the customers or? no so i work for our coo um and i just like it's actually a cool job i just like solve problems for him so he'll like have a question and then i'll answer it in a week with like data like why an example is like why are we sell through like one uh, jp morgan's a huge bank and we sell through jp morgan and we also sell through like little random shops but a question I'm tackling this week is why JP Morgan, why their plans, the people they bring on, the companies, mm-hmm. like ask way less questions and like cause way less issues than every other. Like why they're such a good customer. Why is that? We don't know why. Like all the support tickets and the phone calls coming in, like yeah. and the customer support, we just don't have to do any of that for JP Morgan clients. For we don't know why. So that's what I'm trying to trying figure, to figure out. out. Yeah. So with this new job, did a headhunter reach out to you or how did you no, get your job? No, I, um, so my old job was, um, it was a private equity firm and what we did is we raised a bunch of money and we would go buy businesses. We'd buy software businesses, we'd buy services businesses like HVAC, landscaping, um, 
and so I did that for two years, and it's like M and A mergers and acquisitions. It was really interesting, but I want I think like long term career. I want to work in a business, not on transact, not buying and selling businesses. Like that's more exciting to me. So I found it online. I was actually interviewing for a different job at that company, and the COO was part of the interview process, and he said. HR isn't going to like this, but you should come take this other job from, you know, whatever, do this other one, it'll be better. So, yeah, that's that's how I got it. Nice. Yeah. So is this going to be your third or fourth year out of college? I graduated in 2020 from undergrad and then 2021 grad school. So I'm just over two years out. Okay. Yeah. So you did four years at Westminster yep. and then one year at Utah? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, and then you're from Oregon? Yep, from right? Portland. What, oh, Portland? Yep. Tell me about Portland. Yeah. I've heard mixed things about it. Yeah. It's, um, it was really cool to grow up. And a lot of my family lived in Bend, Oregon. That's where my dad's from. So I kind of, Bend is the equivalent like a, of Park City, like very outdoorsy, sprinter vans. Mountainous? Mountainous, right. Like very, it's really cool, beautiful. Um, and then so I grew up in Portland, and it was awesome to grow up. It's changed a lot, as you can probably imagine, in the last five years. Yeah. Um, great place to grow up, like very, I wouldn't say low-key, but it's not New York City. It's not San Francisco. You're kind of just on your own in the Pacific Northwest and spend a lot of time outdoors and great friends. Um, and then I would say in the last five years, it's really sad. It's, it's changed a lot. And what's really sad is both my parents decided to and executed a move out of Portland, so. Are they still in Oregon? Uh, no, both of them. My mom moved about an hour north of Portland into the countryside of Washington. Okay. And my dad moved about 45 minutes north of Spokane, Washington, which is the very top right corner of Washington if you're looking at a map. Okay, so kind of close to Idaho? Exactly, right next to Idaho. Yeah. Oh, geez. So is he kind of in the countryside as well? Yeah, it's a small town. It's called Chewila. Um, there's like a ski resort and a really small rustic ski resort and like a golf club. It's it's very, it's very rustic. Like it's not countryside, but it's not Park City. It's trying, it, it will try to be. It's trying to attract more retirees and, and older folks and build nice amenities but in the past it hasn't been that it's been a small town yeah, yeah. is your dad retired then yep so he retired um 2014 so when i was in high school um yeah nice and then do you have siblings yep so i have an older excuse me sorry i'm the oldest uh, i have um a younger sister who is a year older than you so or no yeah she just finished her senior year and she played lacrosse at University of Oregon. Oh, nice. And then I have a middle brother who is his, I don't know, I think he's 23. He graduated high school 2018, and then my sister was 2019, and I was 2016. Um, and he lives in Montana and works on a ranch outside of Missoula um, as like a, a guide. So they do rafting, backpacking, climbing, hiking, general outdoors things um yeah do you ever go out and visit him i haven't made it to montana my roommate who is his college roommate has visited him a couple times mm -hmm. and my roommate's from montana i haven't he used to work he used to live in boise idaho and worked 
as a uh, a guide for um, like there's therapy for troubled high school students and a lot of their parents will send him into the wilderness like wilderness therapy um, where he was a, a guide and a counselor and so would take groups of 10 you know kids that are ages from 14 to 18 years old um, into the mountains and like he was he wasn't um, like the therapist but he was basically yeah again the, the counselor like leading the guiding trips they spent a lot of time with horses so like kind of equine therapy um, you know living out for two, he, he worked two weeks on two weeks off and the kids were there for four to five months um, and you know they're exploring in the woods and going on trips and learning yeah that's pretty interesting that's a yeah. pretty cool job I'm sure he has a lot of I'm sure he's had to hear a lot of crazy stories and had to deal with a lot of yeah. different situations. And yeah, he's like the the sweetest kid in the world. Like his heart is too big. Um, and I think he really loved it. It was very rewarding. I think it was just a lot. I, he won't admit it, but I think he, he was just like bearing the weight of the world's problems on his heart, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But that's the type of person he was. So yeah. So yep. you graduated in 2018? 16. 16? Yep. And then, so freshman year 2017, no, 2016, you committed to, what, or you went to Westminster. Yeah, right? in the fall. Yep. Okay, and then you were there four years. Tell me about your time at Westminster. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I, well, I could take a step back. I was a terrible high school student. Um, like, ter- like Educationally? Oh, yeah. No. I was like a, a <laughs> yeah, piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I had a 2.8 GPA. Um, that's not, te- I mean, that's not terrible. <laughs> it was, it was bad. Um, I wasn't going to go to college. Um, I was all right at lacrosse. I wasn't great. I was really skinny. I played video games and, um, did you play travel? Like not really. Ball? So I played only, I got really lucky. I didn't play. I played like my first season when I started lacrosse in sixth or seventh grade, like played a little summer, whatever. We went to San Diego um, and then never played travel ball again until I was a going into my junior no going into my senior year of high school. So I only played one season, um, and that's where the Westminster coach found me um, in that summer, totally by chance. Um, his name was Brad Lavoy, and I. Long story short, yeah, they, they had another poll committed that dropped. Um, and so he reached out to me in February of my senior year. So I wasn't going to go to college. Um, and yeah, he reached out to me February of my senior year, brought me out here and basically said, I hope you gain a lot of weight. I was probably six to 150 pounds. I hope you gain a lot of weight. Like, um, you're going to have to get your grades together. You're going to have to get into this school. So you say Westminster is a private school. Yeah, Yeah. So it was. You, you're going to have to fix your grades in the next, you know, and, and I was like on a higher trajectory. So for like, I think my senior year, I don't remember my grades, but it was, it was, you know, every year was better. It wasn't always 2.8. It was like 2.1 up to, I don't remember, whatever, three, five. So I ended on a high note in my senior year. I came out, I was like the 16th player in the class, the last poll. Um, and I loved it. Um, unfortunately, Brad Lavoie had left and I didn't get to play for him, but there's a long story, but he came back to coach Westminster when I was volunteering. And so I had seen him after five years for the first time and I owed him a very big thank you. This is after I played at the Utah 
at Utah too. So, anyways, Brad Lavoy, I'll name my firstborn child Brad because um, <laughs> I owe him a lot. Um, but I loved Westminster. It was a great experience for me. I needed to be in a small classroom because I wasn't going to go to class otherwise. And I think like having lacrosse or an activity to keep me motivated was really helpful. And so, yeah, totally changed my life. Um, I was originally a geology major. Oh, that's pretty cool. It was really cool. I was terrible at chemistry. Do you need to know chemistry for geology? Unfortunately, yes. And physics as well. And then I had to take a business 101 class. Um, And the professor's name was Rick Haskell. And he made me fall in love with learning again. Um, And this was like my second semester of my freshman year. So it was only a semester in. And then I tried to do geology and finance, whatever. That's nice that you had him so early. Yeah. Yeah. Changed my life. Made me fall in love with learning. Um, You know, didn't really know what I wanted to do in finance or business. But I think he was such a good teacher that I just ate everything up that he was teaching and then just learned it and became interested in it. Um, and so that's kind of how I found my way into to business, but or finance in general. But. Did, did you only have him that one semester? No. So he, it was, again, a small, a really small school. So he would teach the entry-level business courses. I had him, again, my, you know, junior year for two semesters, senior year for two semesters, and then he started some kind of student groups that would we'd go do projects for real companies um, and, or do competitions and things like that. And so he brought me into that when I was a sophomore and we started providing you know financial services and consulting opportunities to local businesses in Salt Lake City. So he kind of really got me some outside the classroom opportunities. So I, I had him every semester or whatever, every other semester. That's nice too, because he shows you that it's not just school. He's like showing yeah. you to, like what you're learning in the classroom, how it applies to real life. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about, um, tell me about Latvia. Yeah. How did, uh, how was the World Games? How did that all pan out? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can, I can start from. We the, got. Do you have time? Oh, I got yeah. time. All right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The World Games were amazing. And that I was end of June or when when were they? Yep. So I drove down June 14th and we had a five or six day camp and then the game started on the 20th so it was about two and a half three weeks um and then I came back to Salt Lake and then flew to Latvia the next day for um it's a long story but yeah there's a song festival every five years it's a huge deal I did a Wikipedia on uh Latvia and then I clicked culture yeah and the whole culture section was all about What's it called? The Latvia Sing and Dance Festival. Yeah. Yeah. And every five years, um, that's pretty crazy. So there's a lot of hype around it. Yeah. Obviously. The equivalent would be because of the perform the amount of performers and then the amount of spectators would be if eight million people in the United States went to Washington D.C. to perform, um, you know, historically significant dancing and singing folk songs, and then one third of our country. So. 100 million people went to Washington, D.C. to watch. That's pretty cool. So that's the the equivalent, and it was... Um, like breathtaking. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like goosebumps. Um, you know, so many songs that are significant to their culture. It would be like NASCAR and 
the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup and the Super Bowl and Memorial Day and the 4th of July <laughs> are all combined into one week. That's the level of cultural significance to, um, that to the Latvians. Yeah. yeah, so it's five every five years. Um, and the last one was in 2018, which was also the country's 100 years of independence, which was an amazing time as well. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go, but it's, it's yeah, you can't put it to words. Um, the city is a, a, a lot, like, just packed with performers, singers, and dancers. Um, a couple of my teammates were performing um, in the, you know, one of them would play in the band and then put the instrument down and go walk up in the choir. Um, you know, some of my teammates are in the, the dancing, their moms are singer. Everyone, everyone does it. Um, not everyone, that's a general statement, but a lot of people are involved with it in, in their life in some way. Um, and the singing, there's 20, I think it's 23,000 singers in one stadium. That's and crazy. then there's 20,000 dancers in one stadium. Um, it is pretty amazing to hear 20,000 people sing. Describe the stadium. What, what does it look like? So the dancing one is, a, is the soccer stadium for one of the teams in Riga, which is the capital city, which is where all this, a lot of this happens. And that is essentially a repurposed soccer field with uh, like they bring a court onto it and, and decorate it the and that one's called I'm going to pronounce it but Dagopa is um, where that takes place and then in the zoo which is called Meza Parks is is a park that's outside to the northeast of town excuse me the northwest of town it kind of like a central park um in the sense that there's the zoo, there's running trails, there's other activities, BMX parks, things like that. And then there's a huge opening in the woods. Latvia doesn't have a lot of mountains or, or you know significant hills, so it's kind of like huge opening in the woods, a very gradual bleacher seating up a giant hill that's holds 60,000 spectators. Is this for the dancing or the singing? Singing. Okay. And so then a massive bowl half bowl is where the singing takes place and 20,000 people um, stand in this structure and is there seating for the audience yeah so it's all bleacher seating up into the the hill like they, they and they've like built a little structure so huge bowl bleacher seating slowly 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 building up and then a giant half dome with stairs up and they're all standing on on the stairs yeah wow. but massive now, would they have, like, food vendors, too? Yeah, so there's, there's yeah, food vendors. It's total party. Um, yeah, a lot of beer, a lot of food, and that amazing, amazing time. What's the food like? Yeah, so it's probably pretty stereotypical Eastern European. Um, you know, a lot of beet soup, um, a lot of meats, potatoes, starches, a lot of dill, which I really like Ooh, dill. Dill's pretty good. So... Um, and then there's some fish because Latvia has a, a coastal town and there's fishing towns on the Baltic Sea. I'm not a huge seafood guy, so but I love the meat and potatoes, the chicken, the rice, everything. And then the vegetables. I was there in the summer. It's harvest season, so, um, you know, spring onion, tomatoes, pickles. They do lightly salted cucumbers, which are really good. 
Um, very, very tasty. Yeah. So tell me your relation to Latvia. Do you have family in Latvia? Yeah. So I, I do have family over there and I was, I ran into, um, the cousin I, or I, I think the technicality is a second cousin that I, I ran into and, and saw when I was there. I also saw him, um, the first time I went to Latvia in 2016. Does he speak English? Um, yeah, yeah, he does. Mm. Um, and what's also surprising without taking a detour, actually, you know what, we can get back to the, the lacrosse later, but yeah, <laughs> speaks excellent Eng- English. And he lives there. Yeah, he lives in Riga. Okay. Um, I think he's 22. Um, but my grandfather was born in Latvia with his siblings, four children um, total, and they fled during the beginning of the Soviet occupation, so right at the end of World War II, they fled the Soviets, and then he was in Wurzburg, Germany, in a displaced persons camp for a few years, um, and then moved to Minnesota, got sponsored by um, a church in Minnesota. Um, so it's actually a really interesting story. So Latvia, as a, as a nation, was ruled for thousands or hundreds of years by different um, crusader empires, you know, was attached to Lithuania for a while. Sweden had influence there. But when Latvia declared independence was in 1918, so they broke away from Germany at the end of World War One, declared themselves their independent nation. And then at the beginning of World War II, um, right at the, the start, Germany and the Soviet Union had signed a non-aggression treaty for 10 years, which was all um, a secret at the beginning. Germany invaded Poland, and then um, the Soviets took control in Latvia and started stationing troops there, executing politicians and people that were educated right at the beginning of World War II, drafted um, Latvian men into the Soviet army, and then you know continued to, to fight through World War II as a part of the Soviet Union. And then in 1944, excuse me, 1941, Germany invaded and occupied Latvia. And so there was fighting um, in Latvia. And the sad part is the Soviet army and the German army drafted Latvian men into their respective armies. And so you had brother, there is a, there is a, a great museum in Riga, but there's a, two brothers that one of them was in the German army and one of them was in the Latvian army fighting against each other. Oh, geez. So really, really terrible. Um, and about 200,000 people died during World War II. Um, Latvians? Latvians, yeah, yeah. Died. And so the Germans occupied Latvia for three years from 1941 to 1944. And part of the Germans' plan, and I forget the German word for it, but it's it's abbreviated GPO, was to ethnically cleanse Latvia. And so they, their goal was to kill off 50% of the population, people of Jewish, Jewish descent, um, or anyone that was you know, c- communist. Um, and so then, obviously, you know, I think that there was, there was 90,000 Latvian Jews that were killed um, in just a, a couple years. German occupied Latvia, drafting men into the army, bringing those men um, to go fight Russians who had also taken the Latvians. And then what happened was the Russians retook Latvia. Towards the end of the world. Towards war. the end of the war. Yeah. The, the Russians retook Latvia and actually um, 
there's a, a big battle where there's significant Latvian on Latvian fighting was in northern Germany. But yeah, so retook all the territory. And then in a, in a brief period, I believe at the end of 1945, there were the, that's when I think it was 200,000 Latvians escaped into Germany. So the war was over, but they wanted to get rid of, get out of the Soviet Union. And so that's what the case was. For my grandfather's family, his dad was, my great-grandfather was educated. He was a journalist, worked for the newspaper, had been arrested and detained by Soviets for the, the police for having a camera. Um, you know, thought he was a spy. Um, and he was going to be executed and begged up for his life in Russia, this whole, whole ordeal. Um, and this and was before World War II? This is right at the end. Right at the end. So they had been occupied by the Soviets, then the Germans, and then the Soviets. So he had survived the war. Okay. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I thought you said your great-grandfather escaped right after World War One. Oh, sorry. No. I meant right after World, World War Two. Yeah. And so they escaped to Germany. And was he ever drafted? Was your grandfather ever no, drafted? No, he had bad eyesight, if I remember correctly. He had his one eye. He had astigmatism or, or something of that nature. Um that prevented him from, from being drafted. And it wasn't, they didn't take every man. Every man. Um, you know, they took certain people and and took the Germans took people from rural communities and, and killed them, but also drafted them for whatever reason they wanted people in the cities. Um, so yeah, he had survived a Soviet occupation, German occupation, survived the war, luckily. And then my grandfather was young enough where he was only 10, 12 years old, so didn't um, didn't have to be drafted, obviously. So then they lived in Germany, and then a lot of churches and families, um, all, the, all the Latvians were in, a lot of them when were Warsburg, so they would, the, the West kind of divvied up the displaced person camp. So you had Latvians and people that were Finnish or Lithuanian in one camp, and then you had you know, Southern Europeans, the, the Balkan region. And what's even wilder, as I continue, uh, is one of my teammates, his grandfather and I were, his grandfather and my grandfather were in the same camp in Warsburg. Oh, wow. And they had fond memories. I don't think they knew each other, but they had, they both described playing basketball in displaced person camp. And is your, you said your great-grandfather no, was at the camp, or your grandfather? Both of them were. Oh, Yeah, okay. so it was his whole family. So it was my great-grandfather and my, my uh grandfather and my great aunt, my great uncle, my great aunt, so all his siblings. So did your grandfather get to meet your teammate's grandfather at the World Games? Or? No, but he met um, some other folks, not not teammate's grandfather, he had passed away, but he met um, a teammate's dad that was very Latvian and had come and watched and met some other Latvians in the, in the community. Um, but went to Minnesota, and there's high concentrations of Latvians in um, London, Ontario, upstate New York, Michigan, Boston. There's a lot of Latvians, and my family's in, in Minneapolis, where there's some, but not as much as upstate New York or other places. Okay. Yeah. And how long did the Soviet Union have control of Latvia? Yep, into the 90s. They were, you know, until the wall fell, and I believe 1991 or 1993, um, you'll have to fact check me on that, but that's when, when they declared independence from the Soviet Union and the wall fell and Soviet Union collapsed and, you know, freedom was, they had freedom. 
when I was looking up pictures of Latvia, you can see within like the architecture and the statues some of the Soviet Union influence yeah. that it had. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. It's it is really interesting. And there was some you know, they bulldozed a lot of the older Latvian churches or significant buildings and built some very Soviet Soviet looking structures and a lot of the apartments I've stayed in are very Com block housing, um, Very I mean, concrete. It, oh yeah, yeah. yeah the whole thing. When you think of it, when you think of, yeah, the Soviet Union, those buildings. That's that's what it is. Uh, yeah. So this is a pretty touchy subject. I don't know if you discussed it with your cousin, but do they have worries about bordering Russia and what's going on with Ukraine? And- yeah. So what's really interesting is, and there's a longer story to this, but when the wall fell. Um, Estonia, for example, and, and the Baltic states are Estonia, which is to the north of Latvia, and then Latvia into the south of Latvia is Lithuania. Mm-hmm. And Estonia is more economically developed than Latvia. And they essentially, t- to my understanding, when, this, when the wall fell, they either deported the Soviet and Russian citizens and speakers out of Estonia. They, to my understanding, borrowed money and demolished um, Russian schools and Russian statues. And this is Estonia? This is Estonia. Okay, not Latvia. And Latvia did not. And to my understanding, in talking with my teammates, there was agreements to keep statues up, keep schools open, and to to this day, 25% of Latvians are Russian. Okay. And so in the very east of Latvia is a town. A lot of those towns are majority Russian-speaking, and so there are Russian people in Latvia. There are Latvians in Latvia that don't speak Latvian. They are Russian. And so that... Similar been, to Ukraine, right? Exactly. Yeah, a lot of the eastern part of Ukraine is a lot of Russian speakers, right? Exactly. Yeah. And to my understanding, um, there's in, in the political system, there's very pro-Russian parties. There's Russian schools. <laughs> there's a funny story where there was a referendum to have Russia Russian become one of the official languages of Latvian along with English, and historic voter turnout. People voted no and, and didn't want Russian to be added to the, the official language. But long story short, uh, there's been there's some contention between the, the, the Latvians and the Russians, as you'd imagine, with culture and, and politics. But what has happened in, since the invasion of Ukraine is Latvia is a part of NATO. Right. And so if they're attacked, it's attack on all the members. And so they, um, you know, the United States is defending Latvia. And so I I think there's a concern, but I don't think, I don't think there's huge strategic value in attacking Latvia. It's a small country the size of West Virginia with 2 million people. So I think the Russians probably have bigger strategic objectives. But what happened since the war is the Latvian government has demolished a lot of Russian statues, and there was a huge like football field or larger-sized stone area with a giant statue that, um, since I was there in 2016, they demolished it in uh, October of this year, of 2022. Um, so, yeah, kind of interesting. I will say, well, at the be- when I went to Latvia in October... So it was only a few months after the invasion. My flights were a lot cheaper than when I went in July because not many people were traveling to Latvia or traveling to Europe 
in October. Um, but yeah, so long story short, it's really, there's a very complicated relationship that I don't obviously understand because I don't live there um, between the, the Russians and the Latvians in Latvia. And there's very complicated and different politics that I don't understand. Yeah. So. So, and then when, going back to lacrosse, when yep. did the light bulb go off? Like, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to play yeah. Latvia in the World Games. So I started playing lacrosse in 2010, and I probably got my first Instagram account or an Instagram account in 2014, and that was the World Games in Denver. Okay. And Latvia had a team. And I had known my my life that I'm I'm Latvian and that I'm eligible for Latvian citizenship. So I had been trying to play for them for a very long time. So I had emailed them in twenty or I DM'd the Instagram page <laughs> over the years and no one ever responded. And it to be fair, um, in twenty eighteen when I was a sophomore in college, I reached out like four months before the World Games, which in hindsight was way too um, late. What year was this again? 2018. Okay. So when it was in Israel. Okay. And so I reached out in July of 2021 for the games that were in 2023. So I, I reached out two years in advance wow. and it took just a long time. It, well, A, I actually didn't ever get, no one ever responded to the Instagram. Uh, there was a, there's a kid named Mason Gorman who's from Idaho, from Boise, played at Goucher College in Maryland, yeah. right? Is that Maryland? Yeah, outside of Baltimore. Yep. yep. And so he, I, I was Instagram stalking, and I found him, and I had mutual Westminster friends from Boise, and I said, hey, I need someone give me Mason Gorman's number, and so I was able to text him. He lives in London now. Because he played for Team Lafayette. He, he did, and so he played for Team Lafayette, and uh, so he was the reason that I got connected, and he put me in touch, and then it was... A year of gathering documents, which isn't that difficult, but just things take time. Uh, Especially when it's government related. Yeah. They like to take their time. Just takes so long. And I, I would say in my advice to other players, a lot of people have said, oh, I've heard a lot of stories. Hey, I could play for XYZ country. I think I'm this or whatever, is to just get ahead of it. And also it's the most rewarding lacrosse experience you'll ever have. And so that was, that's my advice. It took me two years. Um, I almost didn't end up going to the tryout, which was in October of 2022. In Latvia. Yep, in yeah. Latvia with, in Leopaya, which is the, a small coastal town where actually Porzingis is from, if you're familiar with the NBA. Yep. That's his town. Uh, so went out there in October, tried out, and then October of 2022, and played in June 2023. So it takes, it takes time, would be my advice. How many people showed up to the tryout? Probably had 70, 70 guys. Our U21 team was also having tryouts as well, um, or a camp. Um, so it wasn't all. Uh, and actually, we did get two kids from the U21 team, one of them 17 years old, that made it onto the men's senior team. But lacrosse in Lafayette is very interesting. The reason it's there. And they've been around for a long time. I believe the first games they competed in was 2006 in England or 2010 in England because there was a guy named Paul who I haven't met, um, was Latvian, left the Soviet Union, same story as my grandfather, fled to the U.S., 
grew up in the U.S., played lacrosse, went to Hobart and William Smith College, won national championships when they were Division Three. Walfell moved back to Latvia, brought all his lacrosse stuff, and brought the sport to the country. And so it's been just a, it's a long time, um, and there's interest. It's very interesting roots because it's it's very accomplished player coaching and developing these teams. So it's been some of my teammates have been playing since they're 14 years old. Some of them it was their third World Games, so they've been playing for 12 years. Well, so is the World Games not every year? Every four years. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. And majority of your teammates were they? born Latvian or were some of them American with Latvian descent like you? So we had I think six Americans and then the rest of our roster was Latvian. Uh, Well we had one Canadian so call it five Americans, one Canadian and then out of our I think it was 22 or 23 man roster so 16, 17 Latvians which was interesting because a lot of team, there's, there's a lot of drama in world lacrosse and about teams that uh, are all Americans, essentially. Yeah. And so Latvia had been really strict against Americans under Paul and because didn't want to take spots away from Latvians, but that that's kind of changed. And it's still strict. So tryouts, if you don't attend tryouts, then you're not on the team. Party's over. Go to Latvia. Learn a little bit of Latvia. You know, embrace the, the culture a little bit. And some countries... Their their tryouts are not in on the are not in their that country. country. Yeah. yeah, and some of the countries uh, didn't have a single player from from that country. So there's it's it's a double edged sword because you need Americans to develop the sport. But for example, um, I won't single out a country, but yeah, there's just teams that don't have a single native person. Um, yeah, on the team. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but I was I was curious about what countries, what it takes to qualify to play for that country. Yep. And I believe it was Ireland, and I looked into that, and their tryouts were, I think, like in Baltimore or something. So yep. I was just like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Yep. And I believe for Irish citizenship, all you have to do is have, like, a grandpa from yep. Ireland. So maybe they do. I don't know. Yeah. If they have a lot of Americans, maybe. We, they were in our group. They had a lot of Americans. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do to prepare for this tryout? Did you prepare heavily, or were you just like, you know what, I'm just going to go and see if I make it? Yeah. So the my big worry was um, I am by far the skinniest player on the team, and I was one of the shorter defensemen and shorter shorter guys. Because really? um, you're pretty tall. Yeah, they're yeah. monsters. It's the second tallest country in the world. <laughs> um, behind the Netherlands, Por- Porzing, uh, yeah, Porzingis, Porzingis, yeah. like you know, we had some six, 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 seven guys, and so that's what I was worried about was the the size, because I'm tall and skinny, um, not tall and massive, jacked. So I there's pickup lacrosse in Salt Lake, so I play weekly on Sundays. Um, Joe Kerwin, if I think I'm getting my timeline. Correct. I might I might, might be mixing up, but pick up lacrosse on Sundays. Then just working out, going on runs. That's how I prepare for the tryout. I didn't really know what to expect, and because you have no idea, you have no idea. I was watching old 
YouTube videos of the 2018 World Games in Israel, just trying to understand who people were and um, came out. And the first practice, there was like a ground ball scrum on the inline, and I got bodied. I like twist around, and I just got. It wasn't even a big at the tryout. At the tryout, yeah. the first nightly scrimmage, and just someone hit me in the chest and it was the total fall back on your back unprotected just head to the back of the turf uh, that it was like welcome to Latvia <laughs> that's how I felt but it was a great great trial and I'm lucky to make the team so how many days were the trials it was 10 sessions over three days Ooh. Ooh. 10 hour and a half sessions and it was it was uh, it was a lot because a I was out of shape I was not you know, I've lost 25 pounds since I was at the U. Um, but, I mean, I was in shape. I was running, but I wasn't in college shape at all. Uh, so it was morning session that probably started at 8 a.m. And you're waking up at 7 and you're tired and it's dark and cold in October. And do two hours, come back to the hotel. We stayed in a Latvia Sport Hotel. Uh, so it was 10 euros a night for a six-bedroom. It was... It's pretty gritty. It was six of us in a room. We each had a, it was like a, a doll bed, it felt like, with a blanket that didn't, the blanket was the perfect width of the bed and nothing extra. Oh, it's and, like those memes when you sleep at a friend's house and they fall asleep before you, so you use like the couch cushion. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. And you're, I was so sore. Um, and yeah, 10 two-hour sessions, so three a day. We got a couple sessions off, and towards the end, it was a lot more scrimmaging, which is better than one-on-ones and oh, yeah. the ground one-on-one ground balls we were doing the first sessions. So Now, you played close defense or LSM? For Lafayette, I played close defense. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Nice. And the 20, the 2024 Olympics, so next summer, it's in L.A., and they're doing six-man lacrosse, correct? So it's going to be – they will decide this fall. So they will decide in November whether or not to include it in the 2028 Olympics in L.A. Gotcha. So it's not official yet? Not official. Oh, yeah, because Paris is 2024, and they're not going to have it, but they're deciding yep. for L.A. Yes, and it's – there's a couple other sports on the docket. There is not a limit to how many on the docket they can take, how many on the, of the options there are. So there is a world, it's not, the situ, la, uh, lacrosse is not competing against skateboarding. I think skateboarding's in the Olympics. L- lacrosse is not competing against XYZ other sport for one spot. I don't think that's the case. To my understanding, it's they can take any of them or none of them. Okay, so say that gets approved. I know you play defense, but would you consider trying out for six-man lacrosse? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely, 100%. I, you have to. Yeah, it's right? the Olympics. There, yeah, yeah, I'd quit my job and work out for a year. <laughs> there's there's no way I would not try. I'll be – that'll be in five years. I'll be 30. I would definitely hire a trainer and work out for an entire year. Oh, yeah, that's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah, have to. So – so rewarding. I mean, just picturing yourself doing, you know how they have the um, opening ceremony parade to yeah. where the countries come out? I mean, yeah. doing that would just be insane. Yeah. yeah. Pretty exciting. Be, yeah, that would be a lifetime. Next point we got, I want to talk about 
based off your Instagram, I know we already talked about your work, but it, it literally looks like you're always outdoors hunting, whitewater rafting, fishing. Is this every weekend? Like I try. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've, you've stalked my Instagram. Um, oh yeah. I do it. Every person <laughs> I have on the show. I that's have good. To. I normally look at the LinkedIn too, but I uh, didn't have time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So yes, I like to, to be outdoors in the summer in Salt Lake. It's really hot in Salt Lake itself, a hundred degrees. So just dry air, a little, a little yeah. too much. I like to go places and, and do things. Uh, and I'm lucky to have a couple of roommates and my girlfriend, Danny is very adventurous. And so we try to get out and go places. Is she from Utah? Yep. She's from Utah, from Park City. She went to the U and then we met when I was still at Westminster through a mutual friend, but nice. been dating four years and, and she's very adventurous. She just got a dog in March and we've been going rafting with the dog and fishing and all that. So, Oh, that's fun. What type of dog? He is a Australian Kelpie mix. He might even have some pit bull in him and border collie. We're going to do, I'm going to surprise her for her birthday and get a DNA test for, for him. Hopefully she doesn't listen to it. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I kind of already told her I would, she said that's the thing she wants for her birthday. So I'll do that. Yeah. So what's your favorite thing to do? Hike, ski, yeah. fish, whitewater raft. It's, do you have a favorite? I don't, I don't think I have a favorite child of my hobbies. I would say, Winters, I really like skiing. Grew up skiing. My dad is a very accomplished skier. Summer, I love general camping, boating, rafting trips. So not, I, I'm not a super strong climber or this professional fisherman. I'm none of that. But it's fun to get all of your friends in two cars and bring your drift boat and a raft and go dink around or go to Yellowstone and walk around and. and just hang out so that would that's probably i would categorize it as general summer activities i do like fly fishing a lot but i'm not a professional by any means but um yeah things of that nature do you have a good group of friends that you're like let's do this this week like yep let's do this yep. let's go this weekend yeah so really grateful my roommate from freshman year at westminster is still my roommate <laughs> seven years later um and one of my best friends so uh we do a lot together. My, I have another roommate that was a Westminster lacrosse teammate, very outdoorsy, and my other roommate's from Montana um, and has lived with us for a year and great, great person. And then my girlfriend and her friends, and it's we, we have a good good group. It's Yeah, I'm very lucky. I love the outdoor and camping culture because <laughs> yeah. everyone's – there's no clicks. Everyone's down to meet new people, Yeah, get around the fire. Yeah. Uh, there's a great movie I watched. It came out in 2020. I think it won Best Picture for that year, and it's called Nomadland. Okay. Have you seen that movie? The Van. Yes, Van, the van Life, Life movie. Where it's with all the real Van Lifers or the actors. Yes, it yeah. seems like a documentary, but it's with uh, – her name's Frances McDermott. Yes. And great movie. Legit. You've seen it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah. yeah that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, but that kind of reminds me of the culture of – camping outdoors yeah. everyone's just here to support each other yeah it's um you meet some pretty cool people out out in the woods um yep yeah it's good and then the fall hunting but i'm still for context my grandfather um is a real cowboy 
you know, rodeo, hay farmer, grew up hunting, uh, bow hunting on the Continental Divide on horse packs, so a real badass. What state? Oregon. Okay. So he grew up in, excuse me, he was born in California, but grew up, um, and my dad grew up in Oregon and Bend, Oregon. And so he would, and his brother lived in Montana. This is my, my grandfather on my dad's side. And so he'd, he, he's a very accomplished hunter and, and fisherman. Totally skipped my dad. My dad knows how to fish and, and likes fishing now in his life, but didn't teach me necessarily fly fishing or hunting. Um, he's more the skiing. So, yeah, he's like, yeah. Very, yeah, very skiing, rafting, kind of like more, yeah, like sporty outdoors things, skiing, mountaineering, rafting. Those are my dad's big three easily. So I've kind of gotten closer with my grandfather and hunting is very interesting because I've been doing it for three seasons. I'm still at the play dress up in the woods phase. I think I, I shot a turkey last season, but nothing. I, I bow hunt and, you know, missed a couple shots at deer this year and really putting some time into elk this fall um, with one of my buddies for uh, the archery elk tag, which opens this weekend. Um, yeah, that's another hobby that I'm kind of stepping into a little bit. Explain to me, you have to buy a tag, right? Yeah, so it totally depends. But yes, you have to buy them. And the, does it, the price vary? Yes, depending on the species. What about the time of year? No. Okay. So to, to my understanding, again, I could be wrong. But what happens is in the state of Utah, there's units that are based geographical units. So you have the Moab unit, the Wasatch unit, there is a Moab unit, but the, the Uintas, the South Slope, all these different areas, and the state manages all of those areas differently, manages them as in target age for the, the mature elk on that land. Um, and so you can apply to every year you apply. And so I apply for very prestigious units with, I mean prestige what I mean by prestigious is full of very mature elk they manage the number of hunters and a lot of those units are in the central part of the states or down south but those take time and so you earn a point every year so right I think I have three points now the Wasatch unit for example right up you know South Park City is I think the average is eight points. So it's eight years of applying with nothing until you can hunt that unit. Oh, wow. There are states, there are units, excuse me, in the central part of the state that's 19 or 20 points. So basically once in your life, you will hunt that unit. So once you use your points, you have to start, so start at zero. Wow. So you can only hunt in certain parts of the state once every, you said 19 yeah, years. It could, yeah, once every 19, 20 years. So there are some units. And that's just to help manage how many hunters are going. So the, yes, and long story short, this, these point systems are introduced to manage the hunters. So they say there's going to be 200, we're going to have 200 archery tags for the entire year. So we're going to take 200 applicants. And Is it a lottery system? So there's, in Utah, I believe half of the points are random. So you could have zero points and draw it. Then the other half are weighted. So if you have 20 points, you can look at the percentages and the outcomes, but folks with 20 points have a 80% draw odds and po folks with 15 points have 40% draw odds. So it's very, the more points you have, the more 
weight you have in getting your desired unit. But there are units, a uh, friend of a friend hunted in the South, got very lucky on one of the Southern units. And I quit his job and moved down there for the entire month of July and August, all summer, scouted the elk he wanted. Because again, it will be, in theory, 20 more years until he gets that opportunity and he's 30, so. Wow. Yeah. So some people only kill one elk in the, their whole lifetime? No, I mean, not because of the, so then the to continue the story, in Utah there's also what's called over-the-counter tags. and. To be clear, there's a lot of other opportunities to hunt elk. That is just for archery elk in the earlier part of the season. So, which is the most desired part that there's not pressure. Um, they're very active. It's called the rut is their mating season. And so they're moving around there. You can call them in. Then the rifle tags, again, there's very prestigious rifle units. Um, but then there's also what's called over the counter tags. And so I have hunted for the last three years on an over-the-counter tag that I buy online that there's no quota, but the, the, what's called the general elk tag in Utah is what I have and what you could too. You could buy it today. Um, and that is, I can hunt bull elk, so mature bulls with the, the antlers in certain units. In some units, you cannot. You can shoot a spike elk, which is a one-year-old. It's It's it, has, it only has two antlers. It hasn't forked out or branched out as a grown tine. So it's, again, it's very um, geographically based. But And the, the other hunts that I was just talking about with the points are called limited entry. And so the limited entry hunts are the most desirable. You have an entire mountain range with 200 other people over a month to hunt, right? Very incredible opportunities. So then there's over-the-counter. And so that's what I'm hunting for elk is over-the-counter elk tags. And what benefits do you get for over-the-counter? What benefits do you not get with over-the-counter? They'll sell 15,000. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say they'll sell 15,000 of them. So you're in the, you're in, hunt. you know, everyone wants to shoot a bull elk uh, with antlers, right? The biggest antlers possible. Well, if I can only hunt in seven units across the state, me, you, and 15,000 other people are going to go to those only those seven places. Gotcha. So that's the that's the dis, the major disadvantage. So with these over-the-counter, what are they called? Tags? Uh, tags, yeah. With these over-the-counter tags, how do they prevent, with selling so many, how do they prevent people shooting so many elks that they become extinct? Yeah. Or they're, they're, there's not enough for next year. Yeah, so the, the state is making changes every year um and then they're monitoring hunter success so the success it's and there's just a tremendous amount of data that's being captured the biologists in the field that are monitoring elk populations and and spending a tremendous amount of money um monitoring these animals and there's harvest reports so every season i've had an elk tag i've been got a phone call hey did you harvest how many days you'd hunt did you hunt alone things like that do you intend to buy one next year? Did you do this, blah, blah, blah. And so it's every year they're constantly adjusting and making changes. They're not making changes to the point system, but how many tags they'll allocate. And the general season is the units they're selecting are usually could be overpopulated with elk or they're not managing for trophy bulls. So they're not actively managing it to grow really old mature bulls. 
and they just know that these are crowded places. You can also get over-the-counter tags that are later in the season, so that are really hard hunting opportunities, but they want to give people the opportunity to go hunt. But you could get 10% success rate uh, across an over-the-counter tag. So they, they know what they're they're doing, and they're very motivated because a lot of the budget for state wildlife programs and federal wildlife programs is in the outdoors industry, 10%. I believe it's 10%. There's a, a tax or... And I'm going to mess it up. I think it's the... I'm going to try the, it's Maybe it's the Sherman Act or the Schaefer Act. Anyways, I'm mixing something up, but a portion of sales of licenses, tags, outdoor equipment, firearms, bows, goes back to the budgets of these agencies. Gotcha. Now, when you shoot and kill an animal, do you have to report? Yeah. You have to report it? So... The tag is a piece of paper um, mm-hmm. that you, by law, have to attach the antler with the rubber band. And it's very, like, old-fashioned. You notch out the date, the month. It's got your name on it. Um, but, again, you're in the woods, so you don't have to make a phone call that day. But some units, um, you know, you're required to report some species. Uh, bighorn sheep, for example, I believe you have to report very soon. Um, in some states where there's bear hunting, there's... It's, it's managed differently by all states, but it, it varies. So, for example, when I go waterfowl hunting, I don't call the state and report that I shot X amount of ducks that day. Um, they'll call me at the end of the season and, and ask how many times I went and how many do I think I got. But And then you're limited also for waterfowl. But long story short, um, pretty yes, you, you have to report that. Gotcha. So kind of the bigger the animal maybe the rarer the animal the faster you have to report it yeah again i'm i'm not a hunting expert i I would like to be i'd pretend to be but again it would probably vary by the state and the species but yeah can you get in a lot of trouble if you don't report i i don't know i i i would assume so yeah yeah i would assume so um and yeah i believe for elk you know notch the tag and then they do want you to report it online because what they don't want to have happen is I get an elk tag and I go shoot and poach five elk in one season and I never call. You know, that's what they want to avoid is, is poaching. Right. What's the biggest animal you've ever killed? Turkey. Turkey? Yeah. Haven't caught that elk yet? No. Not yet. Not yet. Hopefully. When is elk season? Uh, so the archery season starts August 20th and goes to September 20th. And then I also have a deer tag. Um that also starts at the same time. And then I have a rifle tag in October for a deer. Nice. So we'll see what happens. It's it's really interesting as a, like, again, I'm not, it, hunting's very interesting. It's very, compl- people have very complicated relationships with their, their food and all of that. But I think it'd be cool to not have to buy meat from the grocery store for an entire year. That'd be really sweet. My, my really good buddy got an elk in Colorado last year and we still, I still am stocked with ground beef and steaks from November. Do you have one of those freezers? The big, uh, like you open up chest. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You got one of those? Yeah, but I again, I don't. I, I put the meat that he gave me in there, but I have nothing that I got. Mm-hmm. So I would love to do that. Um, and bow hunting is really hard. I and I didn't get that. Like when I first got my bow and walked out in the woods, I'm like, all right, I'll you know I'll just pull up. And when did you start? Uh, spring 2020, I hunted the turkey season. Okay. So three years. Um, 
But I remember with my my first turkey tag, I got my bow, like walked out into the woods, and there's there's no trail to follow. So I just got to the top of this hill, and I'm like, so I have to find a turkey in this entire valley, and I knew nothing, and I still don't know anything. But it's still it, you're you're constantly learning, and I got some really good opportunities at deer last fall um, and missed missed two shots that I should have made um, and yeah it's just you're, you're constantly learning and there's not many other hobbies where you sit down and you're looking with binoculars and canvassing hillsides and you're watching the little mouse eat his seeds and then the little birds eating the crickets and the, you, you can hear the wind in the you're just sitting and observing and there's not many other hobbies that I do that force me to do that. So that's why it's really interesting for me. Would you say you're a pretty patient guy? No. No? No, absolutely not. So hopefully this makes me more patient. Yeah. And with the tags, can that apply to anyone? Say you want to go hunting with a group of three people. Say your buddy shoots it. Yeah. Can you give him your tag? That no. You Very no. illegal. Really? Yeah. Poaching. You can apply. So if you and I wanted to go hunting next year you and i could apply for the same unit and we fill out our preferences and the system isn't going to give us preferential treatment but it will when you apply in a group the utah system will do its best not to separate you and i in the sense that you can only hunt in this part of the state and i can only hunt in this part of the state it's going to be the, the system will try to put us together and we will both get tags because they're assuming we're going on a hunting trip or exactly something like that but very illegal to to give someone else your your tag really yep gotcha and then going back to bow hunting turkeys is there a part of the bird you don't want to shoot um yeah the stomach or the tail or you, you want it to be as ethical as possible and as quick as possible so you know you're aiming for the lungs and the heart yep um, going back to camping van life, um, based yeah. off your Instagram, yes. of course, it appears that you dabbled in the van life. Did yes. You, did, can you talk more about that? So my dad has a Sprinter van. Nice. One of those Mercedes ones? Yeah. Oh. And he's like done all the crazy work to it and has a shower and it's really cool. So I've been lucky enough when I go home over the years, I take, take that out for a couple days, uh, he, since he moved to Washington, and he sold our house in Oregon, and his house in Washington is not built yet, he is in the van a lot, <laughs> a.k.a. full-time. So yeah. he's, unfortunately, I haven't been able to use it in, in a year. But, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, yeah take a hot shower. He, he drive out to um, Oregon, excuse me, from Oregon to Utah in the winter sleep in my driveway in his van we'd go skiing and he could take a hot shower right after skiing and walk out in the it, it was just total luxury could you ever see yourself and your girlfriend ever doing that for a long period of time i don't think so i don't i'm too materialistic i have a lot of gadgets and possessions and gear well, that i don't need uh, knickknacks and trinkets <laughs> yeah i got all my trinkets <laughs> i would like to get rid of my trinkets and so maybe that would force me to do that but i i would try it um yeah why not but depending on work 
how's that if I got Starlink I would definitely try that but she is in PT school so I don't think you can work remote as a physical therapist to my understanding is she still at the U <laughs> yep so she actually just so she graduated in 2021 as well uh, or excuse me 2022 she did two masters and then she just started this summer at the beginning of the summer in the PT program here at the U and she has it's a three year program nine semesters so all summers and things like that cool yeah this past summer when I was in Cleveland I this band from Long Island they're called RC Drive they're pretty sweet you should check them out but um they were performing in Cleveland and I was back home so I'm like I'm gonna reach out to them see if I can interview them. They said yes. Interview went pretty cool. It's coming out this Friday. But uh, they retrofitted a school bus. It's not a full-size school bus. And just, they let me on their bus and they let me look around. And that just seems so cool. Yeah. Like traveling around the country with your three buddies, making music, living out of a bus. That's the the dream. Yeah, that's... The the extended trips I've done, whether road trips... Um, and sleep in the back of my truck or in, in the van. It's really, it's very freeing. Um, you can do whatever you want. There's no, if you have no agenda, it's really exciting and spending time with your friends. And that's awesome. Yeah. One thing I want to do, maybe next summer, but it gets pretty hot down south. I want to visit the place where that quartzite Arizona where they film no, Nomadland. Okay. Just because the way the movie framed it, all these people have crazy stories. Yeah. And I just want to go down there and meet some of these people and interview them. I yeah. think that would be pretty cool. Give it a go. There's, um, yeah, there's, I think there's other places like that. I know, have you heard of Slab City, California? Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably different than Quartzite, I'm imagining, but. Slab City more is like artsy, right? Yeah. And um, I've heard it, and they have a mount, like, they have a mountain that's painted. The ground's painted, and it has a lot of stuff about love. And oh, okay, I that? might have seen a photo of that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of interesting places. Yeah. So, let's see what else we have to talk about. Made a little cheat sheet. Um, on your Instagram too, you were flexed up with a Lamborghini. What's, oh. that, what's that story? So. Um, one of my friends from high school dropped out of college has a really interesting story he started selling pillows on Amazon like lumbar support pillows neck pillows for the airplane just pillows on Amazon for a couple years and now he does a lot of commercial real estate and so he bought a Lamborghini on eBay and he also has an Audi as well and Bought a Lamborghini on eBay in Austin, Texas. And he bought a Lamborghini on eBay. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. And he needed and he wanted to drive it back to Seattle where he lives. And so I went with him. So I flew out to Austin. And I stayed actually my current roommate was down there for a work trip. So we all stayed with my current roommate from Salt Lake. And then we Picked up the Lamborghini on the Friday morning and hung out in Austin. So I, I think I flew in Thursday night. Picked up the Lamborghini on Friday, and then we drove it in two days. So we drove it. We left Saturday morning to Sunday night from Austin to Salt Lake in a. I think it was a yeah Lamborghini Gallardo. It Do, was. Does he still have it? 
He actually sold it to Mr. Beast, the Shut YouTuber. Up. I'm serious. Yeah. Wow. For a giveaway or as I, a personal car? I have no idea. I doubt it's a personal car. It's not. Um, it's it's not the nicest. I'm sure Mr. Beast can afford a lot better, but I think I would assume for some sort of theme giveaway. Who knows? But yeah, Mr. Beast's accountant or staff member contacted my friend. Um, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, it was a good. It was a wild road trip. Surprisingly, it's a terrible road tripping car, um, as you'd expect. Not very comfortable. Very loud. We were wearing, we had earplugs in sometimes because it was too loud. Because also, there's mechanical issues with it. And it wasn't, the check engine light was on. And it wasn't, um, there, there weren't issues with the car where we were scared it was going to blow up. But the check engine light was on and we were very sensitive to that. And so we wanted to stop. It would come on at weird times. We were playing games by not having the AC on. And that, obviously, in the South Texas was very hot. Um, but we stopped at, like, every auto parts store we could. Not every auto parts store, but when the light would come on, we'd try to, you know, play the little systems we were testing, whether it was manual mode or automatic was causing the light to turn on, and we'd stop at auto parts stores and, um, you know, have to reset the code. And it was just so out of place in, in West Texas and New Mexico, as you'd imagine. I was going to say, did you ever fear for your safety? Like when you stopped at a hotel, like someone's going to break into this car, someone's going to... No, I mean, it? like, not really. We left Saturday morning from Austin. Um, actually, the, the place we stayed in Austin when we drove it in that night was not the best neighborhood. And so there was a lot of eyes. But what was really funny is the next door neighbor came over and said, oh, my cousin lives across the street. My brother lives next door. If anyone messes with your car, we'll protect you tonight. And so it was really interesting and um, really friendly people. And the, the people we met at these auto parts stores in Lubbock, Texas, or Sweetwater, Texas, or even the police that pulled us over in New Mexico were all really friendly. Like. And they're all, can I take a picture? And and my my friend, he does not. He's it's interesting. He's materialistic in the sense that he wanted to buy a Lamborghini, but he doesn't. He wants to drive as many people around in it. He wants them to sit in it, take pictures, rev the engine. He doesn't care. So yeah. it's like, yeah, take take as many pictures as you want. You can rev the engine. I don't care. Um, so yeah, just really friendly people. And yeah, why did you guys get pulled over? So the, the license plate was expired. Um, and so I was driving right at the border of New Mexico and Texas in Clovis, um, going through a stoplight, you know, 12 miles an hour, cop behind me immediately turns the sirens on. We park and he says, Hey, can you wait? Because my deputy or my, the state trooper I work with has never seen a Lamborghini before. So we waited for her to show up and they checked it out and you know, they, my friend had the bill of sale saying, I bought this yesterday in Texas. And to she totally understood. And she said, by the way, like every single cop that sees that, we don't get a lot of those here. They're just going to run the plate because of out of curiosity, see, oh, who owns this car? Just check it out. So then we just took the license plate off. And so then we were rolling the rest of the trip, no license plate. Um, 
yeah, nothing illegal. We were, um, yeah, we had the bill of sale. It was insured, so. And then we got a flat tire, which was in New Mexico on a Saturday night, which was a wild story in itself. Um, and there's not a lot of tires that are meant for that car. I was going to say, I don't think Lamborghinis take generic tires. No, yeah. and you would not... This is such a good story, I'll have to tell it. So, we the tow truck dr- driver we met, too, was just an awesome, awesome guy. He had his own landscaping business from his father um, and then started his own tow truck company because he started doing used car dealerships. And he came out, and he was super friendly, like, came out very quickly... I was taking pictures of him and he says hey can you take some pictures of the Lamborghini on the truck because I've never done this before and I want it on my website and he was really friendly drove us into town took us to the gas station tried to fill up the air because we didn't know it was the tire was completely shredded and then drove us to our hotel or no drove us to drop the car off at an auto parts store where we're going to get our tire shop to get it fixed in the morning and then drove us to our hotel amazing person and then there was only two tire shops open in town on Sunday. So we woke up in the morning, went to shop one, and they wouldn't work on it. So I called shop two. Shop two said, or shop one said that they didn't have the tires. It would take them a couple days. They'd have to bring it from Albuquerque. Shop two, there was a young guy um, named Brian, and he was probably 22, and he said, I can do this, because he built his own drift cars and was a car enthusiast. So he drove down to the other shop, his like competitor store, and uh, borrowed their tools. They didn't even, the mechanics at shop number one didn't even want to touch it for liability reasons. Okay. So he's like, I got this, jacked it up, took off one of the tires, put it in his personal car, drove us in his personal car back across town where he like magically fit the new tire. He like stretched out this one that would kind of work but not really put that on there we brought us back to the car we did it for the other front tire brought us back to the car again and we were on our way so did that tire last the rest of the trip yep yep that's a crazy story yeah and that was in new mexico yep in santa fe Jeez. yeah so you mentioned all these nice people you met did you meet any d-bags no um well when we first had mechanical issues it was I think one hour into our drive outside Austin, um, the light came on. And the light that was going on was basically saying the transmission was failing. And it was a sensor, not the actual transmission. So it was a big, like, oh, crap. So we pull over. And we're like, geez, I don't know what to do. And so we kept driving because we had, whether we were, we just had to go, whatever, another mile into town. So we were driving really slow. And... Then, like, as we were kind of building confidence through the drive, we'd drive faster and faster because of the mechanical issues. But when we were driving slow and there were people passing us on the left, they were taunting us for being in a Lamborghini going, you know, the speed limit or under the speed limit, um, which is kind of funny. But, yeah, everyone was really nice. Yeah. Are you happy you went on that trip? Oh, yeah. I'd do it 10 out of 10 times yeah. again. Yeah. Because it was cool. I, I don't know when I'll be in Santa Fe again. And to draw, it's just a good story. And now I've been in a Lamborghini for – I've done a – a lifetime worth of Lamborghini driving my lower back does not need to be in one of those for a while. Your friend should have got you one of the uh, lumbar pillows I, for the ride. I, I know. I forgot to bring the lumbar pillow. I, I really messed up. So I used my jacket instead. Okay. Yeah, prop my lumbar up. Yep. Another flex 
What about the helicopter? Yeah, so I was um, a part of the Salt Lake County search and rescue team from June 2022 to June 2023. So I was with them for a year, all volunteer, amazing unit. So we would respond to rescues in Salt Lake County, so the Cottonwood Canyons, or if you're familiar with where the ski resorts are, Alta Snowbird, th- those areas. Um, we don't, sorry, it's not ski patrol. We're not going there to the, the ski resorts, but that's the area for rock climbers or hikers. And then in the winter, kind of backcountry skiers and general adventurists that get hurt. And so it was a really awesome, hard uh, little stint I did volunteering. And it got to the point um, I just didn't have what it what it took. Like my hobbies weren't really aligned with, because I'm not the strongest rock climber in the world and it's not my favorite hobby. And so a lot of the best rock climbing in Salt Lake County is in the Cottonwood Canyons. So a lot of our members are spending a lot of their time in those canyons. I'm two hours away in Wyoming. So if there's a rescue, I'm far away. I travel a lot and go out of town on the weekends. And so I I think at a later stage in life, I would go back to it. I I would love to, Um, you know, maybe if I have kids and I'm just a little more settled, but I think in the the priorities of things, it, it, I didn't prioritize it well enough is my regret. The days you did work, were there any scary? Yeah, we had incidents. um, Yeah. A lot of, I would say, I think we went on 80 rescues in 2022. Um, and a majority of those are in the summer. So summer is the busy time. And then, really? yeah. Cause in the winter, if they're, if, people are in the ski resorts ski patrol helps them if they're out of the ski resorts but barely ski patrol there's an agreement where the resorts will provide ski patrollers to do backcountry rescuers rescues so there's a organization so there's an avalanche because we're you know people in the valley the salt lake team we're an hour away at the fastest where if there are ski patrollers that can get there via helicopter or snowmobile or on their feet to an avalanche close to a resort but out of bounds then they'll go so that's why summer is our busy season do some of these resorts have their own helicopters yeah i mean there's heli skiing out of snowbird it's called Powderbird. but our the helicopters we use are and the helicopter that i believe the video you're referencing was the state police so the the Utah Highway Patrol, and it's their Department of Public Safety. It's their Aero Division. And then Life Flight, Intermountain Life Flight. I was in one of those helicopters. And then there's also the University of Utah has their own, I think it's Air Med is what they're called. Um, and we use the DPS, the State Police Helicopter, and Life Flight the most. So these incidents in the summer are they camping incidents? Are they rock climbing incidents? Or yeah, a lot of it is falls. Oh, yeah, um, or rolled ankles, or broken legs, thing, or dehydrated hikers. Um, I would say so. And I've been. I was on search and rescue in Oregon, and that was a lot of searching. We had a huge county, um, a lot of. It was very rural, far away from Portland. And it was a lot of missing hikers and hunters that we go look in the woods for them. It's It was not often 
that it was a 911 call and then we're loading I drive to the sheriff's office and then a 45 minute drive out into the into the Columbia River Gorge that was a lot of searching I would say that was 50% searching 50% rescues maybe even more searching called 60% searching in Salt Lake because there's a lot of cell service and it's very gnarly terrain. There's not many cities in the US when you where you can go climb really gnarly stuff and be back to your house in the same day or go for an afternoon. Right. And so people just A, get into a lot of trouble quickly and B, have cell service so they can call for help. Um, and so that's, and then sorry. And then out of the 98% of our operations that are rescues, 90% of them involve ropes or what's called high angle rescue. So using rope systems to raise or lower people in any capacity. Interesting. Yeah. So you did that for two summers? Yes, but my first, so I did it for a year, like through a calendar year, I was still on call in the winter. Um, But my first summer, so they start you in June and you're kind of on probation. I was still on probation, but as you grow into it like I think I, I, was, I swore in on a Thursday night and then the next or it was either that night or the next night there was a call out for someone that had fallen 100 feet in a waterfall and was still alive obviously I'm not gonna I went to it they wanted us to go attend but I'm not gonna leave the trailer I, I, I was not didn't know our systems at all it was my I'd been on the team for 24 hours so my first summer you're kind of easing your way into it yeah, learning the ropes. Yeah, so L- literally learning the ropes. Yeah. yeah, your time at Westminster. Would you during those summer months? Would you go home back to Oregon, or would you stay in Salt Lake? Yeah, so I went home the first two summers after my freshman year and after my sophomore year. What would you do in Oregon for work? So I my after my freshman year, I coached lacrosse. I worked at a. A Toyota off-road shop. We built like Tacomas and Land Cruisers and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. And repaired them. Yeah, it was really cool. Then I started my own power washing business, and so I did that all freshman year, summer as well. And then my sophomore year, I only coached and only ran my power washing business. I've seen videos online. Seems like there's a lot of money in power washing. Yeah, it was um, it was interesting. I again, when I say business, it was just me, and sometimes I'd hire a friend, but. I would go door to door or knock around and it was really nice. I could work basically whenever I wanted to and I could work, I could get two jobs done and I would charge, I, I could make 400, 500 bucks a day for a 19 year old. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And then what about that junior, senior year? Yep. So I had an internship in Utah, uh, a finance internship. And then after my senior year, I knew I was going to Utah in the fall. And then with COVID, I didn't really have anything. So I started my own fly fishing guiding business. And that was really fun. That's really cool. Really, really cool. Um, And I kind of, I would do a lot of the teaching. So there are some people that hire a guide because they are very good at fly fishing and they know where or they don't know where to go. They're in Utah for a weekend for a wedding and they're from Colorado and they're experts and they just want a guide to take them and show them where the fish are. But I kind of got a lot of business by not charging a lot. Um, and a lot of these guiding trips are really expensive. 
and not charging a lot. And it was like emphasis on teaching people. So a vast majority of my clients were, it was their first time they'd ever fly fished. And a lot of them, I think it was bolstered by COVID. Everyone was getting into random hobbies, couldn't travel. Just wanted to get outside. Get outside, yeah. buy a fly rod. So business was booming. Um, it was so fun. And again, I could go do a couple lessons in a day, do a three-hour lesson, take an hour break, and go get lunch at the gas station. Now, would you use just public land? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And your the people, your clientele, would they need to get... Utah State fishing license for yep. that day. Yep. Yeah. So we would do all the licenses, um, and I would have them do it on. You can do it online before, or some of them would buy it in person. And I had extra rods and waders, so just take care of their license, and they could show up. And I had little lanyards. I'd print with laminated paper on little fly fishing tips and tricks that I'd give out. So. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. How'd you get your name out there? Did you have your own website? Or? Yeah, so I had an ad in the classifieds that I would pay a dollar a day on. I'd have it set for Sundays, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. In my thought process, for a dollar a day for it to be sponsored on that little classified section. For like KSL? KSL, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And my thought process is... Like the beginning of the week, people are like searching KSL browsing stuff. On the weekends, they're out doing stuff. So that was my my hope was to save money. And I think my ad probably got three or four thousand views. And I had I could check it had like five hundred likes. And I don't even know how many. I forget how many people I guided. Not that not in a like a I did it so much, but from June to October. I don't know, like a couple, you know, four or five days a week sometimes. And then one week I'd do seven days straight, and then the next week I'd go home to Oregon for a week. It was nice to be your own boss. So would you learn everything online, like how to fly fish, or did so, you have buddies that taught you? Yeah, I'd been, I'd gotten more into fly fishing in, when I'd moved out to Utah, but my uncle is a really, really talented fly fisherman, and two of my uncles, and... That's who I, I, I learned a lot from growing up, and my grandfather as well. So, And then growing up, I would fly fish, but my dad didn't teach me necessarily as, as much as my uncles or my grandfather did. But, yeah. And this was the summer going into your first year. year at Utah? Yep. What did what classes did you take? Did you get a master's that year? Yep. Yeah. So I did the master's of finance program, which TB is doing, and I believe Zach Johns did as well. Zach Johns was he was in school for <laughs> he was in school for six he, years. He has all the masters. He has uh, all the all the degrees. Yeah, um, it's like that uh, kid. the Great Infinity guy. Stones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I did corporate finance, um, private equity, venture capital courses. I did a little consulting class. So we worked for kind of like I did in Westminster in a real business and elsewhere in the state. Um, so it was really wide variety of general business classes yeah cool all right last thing i want to talk about just going through your instagram pictures it feels like i'm going through uh national geographic like feels like i'm going through a magazine a lot of cool outdoorsy pictures you with your friends um and then going through your captions with it um you say life or live about 15 times throughout like all your instagram (laughs) things um so in your opinion, what are the most important things in life? What do you value Ooh, in that, life? That's a good question. Um, 
I would start by saying what happiness means to me is shared experiences with my friends and the people I love. Um, and so those experiences can be good or bad. It can be, you know, like type two fun, like climbing really terrible, steep, scary mountains, um, or drinking a beer and fishing and, and doing nothing, or sitting on the couch and talking. So that's what happiness means to me. Um, life is very short. I had a friend, Zach James, who passed away. I don't know if you, you weren't at Utah yet, but when a, a Westminster kid, lacrosse player passed away. Was he from Ohio by chance? He was from Illinois. Okay. Yeah. I think I've heard this story. Yeah. 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 So he passed away on a camping trip in Southern Utah and was one of my really good buddies and who I fly fished a lot with. Um, and he was like, could not be a cooler person in the sense of just not bothered, like life, it, it, not bothered by the stresses of life, just wanted to be happy to be anywhere, a, happy to be anywhere, yeah. like an amazing person. And that's what it's, it's again, it's a really, really sad thing um, in and in part of my life, but it's easy to talk about him because he was such an awesome person. And yeah, life is really, really short. Um, yeah, you know, Zach passed away. My dad had cancer and then was lucky enough to to recover and be cancer free. But there's just like instances of things that happen where, you know, you're you just gotta be grateful. I think that's that's the moral of the story. And I think too many people are just ungrateful and life is too short to hold grudges and yeah, I yeah. And I was I'm just lucky to be here. Like again, lucky to be alive because of the odds and the things that my great grandfather went through in Latvia and escaping Latvia, so much tougher than I am. <laughs> yeah. Still, just just things we don't understand. Being you know, being in prison and in you know, trying to be executed. So it's a miracle that I'm here because of that. It's a miracle I played lacrosse growing up. It's a miracle I went to Westminster because I wasn't going to go to college. And Brad Lavoie saved that. I mean, changed my life. It was Brad Lavoie. And then it's a miracle that I fell in love with learning because of Rick Haskell. And then, like, the silver lining of COVID was that I got to go to the U, to the U and play Utah and live the dream and play Division I lacrosse, which, for someone that had just nothing, like, nothing going for him early on, just, again, savor every second. Um, that would be my advice. Yeah. And would you say some of the most important things in life are the people you meet? Yes. I think that's a good, because I am nothing without my friends. Um, a, because my friends are more interesting than me, but B, I'm like a social butterfly. Like I get, I can't, I, I have a hard thing, a hard time doing things alone in a sense. Like when I had those seven weeks between um, your job. jobs, yeah. I, I like needed to be doing stuff with my friends. I, I don't know what it is. I, I like, maybe I'm an extrovert. I, re I recharge my batteries by being with my friends maybe when I'm alone I I don't know the, the, the voices in my head no I'm kidding but uh, yeah I like being with my friends so yeah cool one thing last point I'm going to make here you mentioned your grandpa and how he's a lot stronger yeah and mentally tough and the things he went through I saw something online might, maybe Joe Rogan said it and it made me really think he said right now in life not for everyone of course yeah. but generally speaking right now in life for humanity is probably the best living situation in the history of humanity yeah which is crazy to think about yeah i mean it's 
in, incredible, and it, I, I believe it. And without, yeah, I know it's the last thing you're going to say, but I'm, I'll take it back oh, to, no, to can, Latvia yeah. for a second. But yeah, like a, a significant portion of the country died, and you know, a significant. I, my teammates, their grandfathers, one of their grandfathers was in the gulag for 20 years, oh my and gosh. detained by Soviets, and, and people were taken away. I think the Soviets took 300,000 people to the gulag. 200,000 people died in World War II and just because like it, it's you ha we have it so good we have it so good and you just can't lose sight of that uh, I think is the the moral of the story and we, yeah there's not many places where I feel like I can do whatever I want right I can go fishing on the weekend I can I have a great job I live in a great place I ski a bunch I have awesome friends I I'm really lucky and and grateful so you don't want to lose sight of that yeah yeah well um Mr. Harry Nye thank yeah. you for uh, <laughs> being for on today me. yeah